the Dynasty Bulls Podcast. Nick Hales is a rescue partner, and Joshua Johnson is here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bulls, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. Dynasty Football Warehouse.com, Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Uh, I am Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins Wagner, who I've already talked to. Uh, Nick, I'm on the clock here in uh, one of Fat Cat's uh, redraft mocks. Uh, I'm on the clock at 7.12. I've already broken Bill Servey's law about waiting on a quarterback. I tried that in a different league, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But Sorry, I already have Matt Ryan, Carlos Hyde, Alfred Morris, Martavius Bryant, Kelvin Johnson, and Demarius Thomas. So I suppose I could be looking tight end, but let's just see who the best player available is. Actually, Julius Thomas is top of the rankings right now, but we know how we feel about him. Um, another guy out there is Martellus Bennett, so right now – Julius Thomas, Matthew Stafford, Michael Floyd, Ryan Tannehill, Martellus Bennett, and Zach Ertz. What do you think? <laughs> well, I think I'd wait on a tight end. I think those guys are all about the same, and somebody's going to be there in the next couple of rounds that somebody's going to slide through the cracks that you can grab. So do I dip down a little further and grab uh, Rashard Perryman or DGB? What do you think? Well, DG Lee's supposedly having a pretty good camp there in Tennessee. He might not be the worst option. Well, I got two pick boom boom, so I think I'll go DGB. And then I just can't be – sorry, I got four. Oh, I should probably go eh, – maybe wait on the running back just because I don't like what's available there. I think I'm going to just go ahead and grab Martellus Bennett just because uh, I don't get why this guy gets no respect. So I'm just going to do it. just going to do it. Uh and then we'll move on from there. We have a wonderful show for you today. I'm sorry, folks. I just thought you, if you, you might enjoy talking about something like that as it's actually happening. Um, just to kind of get the inside of what we do here. And we're going to do some uh, ADP risers and fallers, too, a little bit uh, later later on. Um, Dan Burgundy Hines may or may not be joining us. He's currently, maybe he's landed by now, but he's on a plane to Seattle. So uh, we will see if we can get him on. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, we also have former NFL wide receiver J.J. Burden in about a half hour. Super, super excited about that. So um, we, uh, I guess we'll see what uh, what the deal is. I have Dan actually 
Maybe I just need to text him the phone number here. Um, I don't have the phone number in front of me. But anyway, um, why don't uh, some other things that we have on on Doc for today, some dynasty trade analysis, some questions. For, actually, we won't have questions from the forum today, excuse me. Uh, Dan's going to be joining us to talk about who the bleep is uh, Antonio Andrews. J.J. Burton's going to stop by. We've got Jeremy Hill, Dynasty Dilemma, Jeremy Hill versus Todd Gurley. Uh, Nick's going to rant. That's number 23. Uh, Nick's got a Dynasty depth charger for us. So we'll get to some ADP rises and follows and, of course, some injury news. Well, why don't we just go ahead and uh, call Dan here. Give me one second. have reached oh, the voicemail box of six one two two three oh, seven sorry. four two seven five at the tone please record your voice well, message like, when you are finished recording you may hang up or press pound for more options that was a colossal mistake and i don't know how to turn it off but we have dan on the line here one second dan are you there hello Maybe not. <laughs> so I think we'll see if we'll see if Dan tries to call back in. Sorry, we're going to actually get to the podcast today. So Nick, why don't we start with some dynasty trade analysis? Um, I have one that came to me on Twitter, and this is the most exciting one, obviously here. Uh, but uh, um, it was uh, Ryan Tannehill for Marcus Mariota, 2016 second round pick, and a 2016. Third round pick. What are your thoughts there on that trade, Nick? Um, I like the side pick that Mariota. You know, you got the young quarterbacks. You got a little bit younger there. You got the two extra picks for next year. And you know, it's not that I dislike Ryan Tannehill. I think he's got a pretty high ceiling, especially moving forward. His numbers have improved every year. Got over four thousand yards passing last year, but still, he's not like a surefire top ten quarterback. So the fact that you got the number two pick in the draft. Marcus Mariota plus a couple picks for next year. Yeah, I really like getting you under there. Yeah, I, I like that too. Um, this league is a, the more I found out about trades, a little bit different. It's because salary cap league and Tannehill's pretty good value, so that's a little bit more. I think kind of evens up the docks, but uh, obviously Mariota is a very probably a pretty cheap option too, and you're getting some extra picks, like you said there, Nick. That's not. Uh, you know, you could find some pretty good gems in the second and third. You know, later on in those rookie drafts, you, it's always not quite sure. But if you know, if you need to rebuild like your IDP guys, you know, guys that I got in the second and third this year in in leagues were, you know, Eric Kendricks, um, excuse me, Landon Collins, uh, Mike Davis. You know, that those, type of those players. I know Mike Davis is kind of off the radar right now, but those are the just type of players that I got this year in rookie drafts. So easily a, a, a something that you can add there with those picks um moving forward here we have uh bryce petty uh i wish i'm pretty sure this maybe happened after the uh arian foster injury but uh bryce petty and arian foster for kamar aiken nick toon in a 2016 third round pick not a very exciting trade there nick what, what are your thoughts 
Yeah, I think that's way too little to get in return for Arian Foster, even if you only expect Foster to play the final eight games of the season this year. You know, with Foster, you know he's going to get hurt, but when he's not hurt and playing, he's always productive. So I, I think that's far too little to get in return for Foster. And Bryce Petty. Uh, speaking of Jets quarterbacks, uh, in case you missed it, the Jets actually traded the third-round pick uh, this morning to Tampa Bay for Mike Glennon, um, which I don't know if you heard that, Nick, but I don't know exactly who that leaves on the uh, depth chart behind uh, uh, Jameis Winston down there in Tampa Bay. We'll have to check that out. But, uh, yeah, I agree. You know, even if it is half the season, you know, Aiken and Toon are, are really, you know, wide receiver four is probably at best other team. Maybe Toon's got a chance to be a wide receiver number three. And that pick doesn't really necessarily push it over the top for me. So not 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 necessarily a fan of that one either. Um, what do you think about uh, this next trade here? Now, Kyle Rudolph in the 2016 fourth-round pick for Duran Carter and Ty Montgomery. Well, I'm not really high on any of these players, I guess. You know, Durant Carter, I think he's going to be buried on the depth chart there, receiver in Indianapolis. Kyle Rudolph, we all know his injury history. And Ty Montgomery, again, another Green Bay receiver buried on the depth chart. So I guess I'll go with the side that picked up Montgomery just for future upside. You know, after Jordy Nelson gets a couple years older, maybe some of the other guys leave the free agency, maybe Montgomery will get an opportunity there. I think he's probably got the highest ceiling. So I'll go with that side. Mm-hmm. And we don't know kind of what's going on really with Duran, and you know maybe his future isn't with the Colts. You know maybe he could go someplace to a to a team that actually needs him and doesn't have you know doesn't need to draft wide receivers or whatnot. So uh, you know it's it's certainly an unknown, but uh, you know if that team that needs gets Rudolph needed a tight end, it's not it's not a bad deal. And I kind of like the side that actually picked up Rudolph in the fourth round pick because you you know you're kind of getting rid of maybe. Maybe some dead weight there as rookies, but you just you just never know. I mean, you know, Duran Carter could be the next Victor Cruz for all we know. You know, just a guy that just uh, just hasn't had a chance, and until he gets a chance, he could really he could really shine. It just depends on how patient that owner is with uh, with Duran Carter. So, uh, this is going to be the Martellus Bennett show. Remember a few weeks ago we had uh, the Andre Williams show. This is going to be the Martellus Bennett show. We're going to talk about this guy a lot today. Uh, Martellus Bennett for a 2016 second-round pick. What do you think there, Nick? Uh, I really like this trade all the way around, actually. Uh, you know, Martellus Bennett, over 900 yards last year and six touchdowns. I don't think anybody expects Matt Forte to have near as many catches as he did last year, so that's going to be possibly even more targets for Bennett. Bennett could push for 1,000 yards, so I think that's for a second-round pick. Yeah, that's a, that's a good deal. Okay. Yeah, Um I think that's a pretty fair trade. I, I'd like um I like the fact that uh you know, that's a pretty good value there for Bennett. Uh I you know, we talk about the big three with obviously Gronk, Jimmy Graham and Kelsey and then you can throw even though he's getting older, you can throw Greg Greg Olson into the mix. But who's number five? You know, then and then the questions really start coming up. Is it Julius Thomas? Is it Zacherts like we talked about last week? Uh, for my money, it's Martellus Bennett, at least for this next couple of years. The guy is a former basketball player, and it shows he is a power forward up the middle of the field. And, 
obviously with Kevin White hurting, we'll get to that a little bit later, injury news. That's, he's going to be a, a more needed commodity, especially in the red zone. Uh, and they're going to have to do something so that Alshon Jeffrey is triple coverage every play. So, um, but yeah, I like I like that deal. I think it's pretty fair for uh, both sides. Um, and in case you were wondering, but now the number two on the depth chart behind Jameis Winston is a guy named Seth Lobato, uh, a Northern Colorado kid, six four, two hundred thirty pounds, was a free agent signed by the Colts last year. Uh, in May after the draft and was subsequently cut a month later, signed with Miami, cut a month later, uh, then practice squatted, then waived, and then uh, signed a free agent deal on January 15th with uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So uh, there you go. Are you excited about Seth Lobato, Lobato, I should say there, Nick? Uh, I'm assuming he was a rookie coming into the league last year, but, uh, Really couldn't tell you anything else about him. Quarterback controversy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's got some good size, 6'4", 230. Uh, kind of a, a FCS kid. We'll see We'll see what happens there. Um, moving forward, uh, we, we do not have questions from the forum today. I'll quit saying things that we don't have for you today. Um, I guess J.J. Burden is going to be joining us here in about 15 minutes. But why don't we listen and find out what exactly DFW can do for you if you become an insider. DynastyFootballWarehouse.com is very excited to announce our insider membership. For just $29.99 per year, you get the insider membership plus our rookie draft kit. Insider membership itself is $24.99, just the rookie guide is $9.99. DFW is where Dynasty Football is a way of life. You can dominate your league for only $2 a month. Membership includes all access to insider articles, Dynasty, Redraft, Daily, IDP, which is over 1,000 articles per year, up to three a day on average. Includes Dynasty expert rankings, updated monthly, average draft position data, 2015 projections, in-season weekly rankings and management, rookie draft room, and so, so much more. 24-7 access to DFW staff via email for roster management advice, trades, drafts, rebuilds, waivers, commission assistance advice for bylaws, scoring, and setup on new leagues on MLF. The 2015 Rookie Guide is $10 a la carte or $5 when bundled with the Insider Membership with the PDL emailed to you. Expanded in 2015 to include more players, the Top 10 IDP, all crisply summarized with keynotes on every player and their background, main stats, strengths, weaknesses, and key college stats. 143 skill position, 106-page PDF, 41,000 words of rookie insight, plus 100 hours of research analyzed and boiled down for your NFL draft day enjoyment. Combines all recaps from skill positions at the combine, includes guide along updates after the NFL draft, adjustments made through training camp and preseason. All three membership options will get you entered into the multiple DFW contests and giveaways. Each will enter you into a a raffle for a brand new iPod, which will be given away during halftime of Super Bowl 50 via third-party security raffle. You will get entry into DFW Week 1 Free Roll Tournament on FanDuel or DraftKings where the winner will receive $200. You will also gain entry into the DFW Survivor Contest where... Over the course of the 2015 season, the last team standing will also receive $200. 
Again, very excited to introduce the DFW Insider Membership, just $30 a year. Just landed in Seattle, man, like 12 seconds ago. The cell phone usage is allowed, so I thought I'd try and call in here and squeeze in a few minutes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, are you replacing Cam Chancellor for the Seahawks, or what's going on up there, bud? Yeah, I'm flying in to, uh, to uh, try out for the Waterboy opening. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, we... We asked you to join us today to to, to get uh, your uh, your thoughts on who exactly this uh, Antonio Andrews character is in Tennessee. I know you and I think Bruce as well own him in DFW 36, and I've seen some rumblings about him online. And so as uh, we like here on the Dynasty Pulse to uh, dig Dynasty deep, we will say, um, to find sure. that next gem that you guys can get. We I thought we'd have Dan come on and give us the old scouting report and Mr. Andrews. So what do you got for us, bud? Well, I got to preface this by saying that, you know, as much as I like Antonio Andrews, he's still quite a bit of a long shot with, you know, Sankey and Cobb being there now as well. But he is a very solid back. And as, you know, coincidence would have it, the first time I actually learned about Antonio Andrews, and I'm going to name drop a little bit here, was um, ex-Viking safety Corey Chavis. You're probably familiar with him as a Viking fan. Mm-hmm. Um, him and his dad have a, a you know a draft nasty scouting site. And when I first got into scouting and and whatnot, I used a lot of Chavis's information. And somehow we had gotten in contact and we ended up having about an hour and a half, two hour conversation while he was at the airport uh, catching a flight. So it's fitting that I'm sitting on an airplane here talking about Antonio Landers when during that conversation, you know, he was learning about dynasty football and I was learning about draft nasty. It was a really cool conversation. And uh, he brought up one of his favorites, which was you know, favorite sleepers, which was this kid out of Western Kentucky, Antonio Andrews. And I said, hmm, I haven't looked at him yet. And I went on draft testing. I think at the time he had him in his top 10 uh, coming out of that class, which was a bold statement, you know, for a kid no one's heard of. Um, basically, the long and the short of this is he has another mid-major player who's just an absolute workout horse with a nice skill set. Um, you can look at uh, his build and his... Uh, his skill set and compare him to other mid-majors like uh, Towson, Terrence West, and Northern Illinois' David Johnson. Uh, really good hands, really good footwork. Um, uh, coming out of college, he flashed a lot of receiving skills. Um, I think people really softened on him at the Combine when he threw down like that scary 4 8 40, uh, where we saw, you know, players like Kadeem Carey and you know, things like that, where all of a sudden one straight line speed uh, just kills your your draft status and whatnot. Um, if you look at the kid's tape, it's a whole other story. Now, again, there's a lot of question marks because of that mid-major competition, and it just stacks that up. 
but the guy is a beast. He's built to last. He's not super flashy, but he does everything really well. Coming out, he had some pass protection issues like so many running backs. He needed to work on those. Um, and, I mean, really, that was that was it. Um, showed good, you know, lateral quickness to the outside. I mean, everything was just really tight with this guy. And if you look at Tennessee's situation, you know, you have a Bishop Thank You, who you know I was really sour on all year last year. I just didn't see it. I saw the hesitation. I saw the bouncing, everything to the outside, and I just said this isn't going to translate. Um, not unless the guy can get a little tougher inside and, and attack those holes a little bit. You know, and who knows what happens with Sankey. He's a good pass catcher in his own right. But now you bring in David Cobb, who's a very similar running back to Antonio Andrews. He's probably not as good a pass catcher, but underrated to to be sure. So now you have, you know, you have three guys that really have proven nothing at the NFL level. have all had a large degree of college success. Um, and, you know, like you said, it, it's not surprising to me that Antonio Andrews is making some noise. And... In that situation, why not? Um, is he is he someone that I would feel you know super confident, you know, having a role? No, probably not. Is he someone that I would have be, you know, willing to stash on deeper teams and rosters? Absolutely, I would. You know, and he'd be one of those last cuts going into the season. You just got to monitor it all the way up to that season. But give. Sorry, did I lose okay. you there? No, no. Nick, are you still there? Yep, yep, still here. Cool. Sorry, Je- sorry, Jeff was there. calling in of all people. He was beeping in, so. But, okay. uh, yeah, but that's about, that, yeah. I mean, that's my take. Yeah, that's my take on Antonio Andrews. So I'll probably keep it short since you got a guest coming on. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And do you, I mean, what what do you think his role could possibly be this year? I mean, from what it sounds like, from what you were saying, he kind of seems to be the same type of player as, as Cobb, maybe not a good uh, pass blocker, but the same type of player. He can be whatever the opportunity presents itself. He can be a one-two back. He could be a third down back, but I don't see that being the case with Bishop Sankey there. I just see him as more of that change of pace, you know, better pass catcher out of the backfield. He'd be the one I'd want in um, on third down. Um, but he can be whatever that situation requires. Uh, if I were a betting man, just based on talent level, I personally see David Cobb taking the lead back and goal line role at some point and Bishop Sankey having that, you know, probably a 35% usage on pass catching downs and changing it up a little bit with Antonio Andrews as a very, very suitable backup to David Cobb. Um, you know, and that's, Ultimately, how I see it, only based on, you know, what I perceive as talent levels and effectiveness running the ball. But, I mean, we're we're nitpicking here very, very much. I mean, the difference between an Antonio Andrews and a David Cobb is next to nothing. And Antonio Andrews has a lot more experience in that system. I mean, be it only half a season, but, you know, that, that counts. Yeah. And any questions there, Nick? Yeah, you you mentioned that he played at a mid-major program. I was wondering, does he have any film at all versus major college football programs, or are we just going to have to wait and see what he looks like in the preseason to actually get yeah, that's, on Yeah, that's, 
Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's the problem. You know, same with David Johnson. I mean, you can you can look at that guy versus Iowa and say, well, he played a real pro. Well, Iowa sucked that year, you know, and it's so it's it's you can only tell you know you can only tell so much from from that, and that is ultimately where you run into problems. Same with Terrence West. You know, they are going to look better against that competition. That that football is an incredibly competitive, you know, competition. You know, com- competitive sport and even at that mid-major level you can't write off the talent he's playing against either so you can't completely discount it but at the same time you can't read too much into it either so that's why it's so risky looking at these guys uh yeah but it's certainly you know i think it's certainly he's certainly somebody that's worth talking about and worth considering and uh in your dynasty league i think if and ultimate cup, and if Dan is rostering somebody, it's certainly certainly intriguing to me. Um, even if it's just his, you know, his long shot. And everybody's got to have their uh, the long shot on their roster. I, I probably have too many of them myself right now in DFW 36. But yeah, hey, just just grasping for straws. You know, you you got to you got to do what you can. You got to do your research, and, and and who knows what what it could on uh, on earth. You know, I mean. It just it just really depends on the the situation and what happens there going forward. What's up? Well, and that's just it. I mean, the the biggest part of the investment is that situation. There's so many question marks that why not? You know, if he's on your waivers, why not scoop him up and put him there because that thing is fairly wide open. So. Yeah, I mean, if you. Not to not to say this is going to happen in Tennessee, but look at the Baltimore situation with Ray Rice last year. Going in to the season, he was their number one quarter, their number one running back, and Sorry. you know Justin Forsett might not have even been on that team if if the situation with Rice hadn't even happened. You know, so I mean, we'll see. You know, I'm not saying Andrews is going to have a Forsett type of year, but it's just. Uh, just one of those things that's certainly uh, certainly worth talking about, and he was a player that was getting some buzz there. So, well, Dan, you I, bet. Can, I can let you go there. Get to, get to yep. Get your Seattle on. Go get some. Go get some fish there, some salmon, and enjoy your day, bud. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. Yeah, take care, bud. Okay. Well, that was uh, Antonio Andrews with uh, with Dan. Um, uh, an intriguing player, but again, uh, again buried right now in the depth chart in Tennessee. But uh, they have a lot of a lot of young youth there. Young youth, of course, they have young youth, but they have youth there, and uh, you know, inexperience or uh, miss, uh, you know, some some bad mistakes could lead to him seeing some snaps certainly there in uh, Tennessee. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's just somebody to look at. He's probably somebody that available in your a lot of your leagues and that's kind of why we bring players like this up so uh you know if you own sankey and cobb in a league it might not be a bad idea to make room for this guy uh or, or even if you just own sankey or cobb um you know if you own both of them i would almost certainly say say yes but uh certainly just uh something to put out there and uh that's kind of why you know why we've had dan on to talk about them he's a, like i said a long shot but certainly an interesting uh interesting prospect there um, moving forward, because like, JJ is going to be joining us here in a couple minutes. Um, what's, um, excuse me. Uh, with, after JJ, we're going to do uh, the Dynasty Dilemma of Jeremy Hill versus Todd Gurley. Uh, That's going to be awesome. Looking forward to that. Um, 
Next week, we're going to have Chuck Podeski on, our uh, our odd man here, we'll, we'll say. Uh, he's going to be the guy helping us out with the Vegas odds all season long as we do some ATS picks for you going into uh, the season. And uh, we're going to get some uh, preseason odds on who's going to make the Super Bowl uh, win their division with wins and whatnot. So that should be uh, that should be good stuff there. Uh, we're also going to have Bill Layton on. He's a, a writer here at DFW. And he's also in DFW 16 with us. I mean, Nick are going to grade his team, and he is also kind of the auctioneer here at uh, at DFW. So we'll get a little auction prep for you if you guys have that uh, have that thing coming up here pretty soon. So um, I do want to thank uh, Jim Day for uh, letting me in uh, the Fantasy Taz League, something that just happened last night. Uh, Bruce obviously is the one that pulled me into it. Uh, our mock draft monarch here, Mr. Bruce Kimbrough. He uh, suggested me to to Jim, and we got me in the league. It's a it's a 16 team league, and it's uh, pro, pros versus Joes. I think it's eight eight writers versus eight fans. So that should be uh, interesting. And uh, I'm very glad that I've already done a 16 team league draft. So I am uh, so ready ready to go with that. Um, uh, it'll be interesting as as going forward. And I do want to. Remind everybody of our, excuse me, our uh, charity league that's going on. Uh, we uh, we are forming divisions. I've got 11 teams. I need one more team to complete my division. If you want to, if you want to uh, join and compete against me, I got some got some friends of uh, Dakota Case who will be playing for it, and then some other industry hot shots. Uh, a lot of people that have been on the podcast before too, so that uh, that should be good fun there. And if you want to join me, to, uh, hit hit me up on Twitter or DM me your email. I am at Josh DFW. Excuse me, at Josh underscore DFW Pulse. So JJ should be joining us here very shortly. Um, JJ wrote a uh, book about uh, opportunity, and uh, he's going to talk to us about that, and we're going to also asking some questions about his playing career and uh maybe just maybe i'm going to put him to the test as well and ask him a trivia question about his playing career uh we'll see if we'll see if he's up for that or not we'll see if he's he's up for the challenge uh but i got i got a good one for him so uh and maybe maybe we'll let nick help him out but uh he should be joining us very shortly um any while we're waiting for him, Nick, any any injuries out there? I mean, obviously some stuff is could be taken more seriously than others right now. But is there any injuries that right now that are really really concerning to you? Uh, well, shocker, Jordan Reed has a hamstring injury again. But uh, this is the <laughs> biggest news, <laughs> and this was actually really good news, is that I saw Eric Berry is going to suit up and play in the preseason game uh, this week for the Chiefs. Great, great news to hear that after his battle with cancer. It's awesome that he's able to come back. Yeah, yeah, that is uh, that is definitely definitely good news there. Um, I saw that last week. Um, and another thing I keep forgetting to mention, and I and I've I should get my uh, silver and black card revoked for even for even uh, not mentioning it sooner. But I do want to say just a few words about the, the passing of Ken Stabler. Um, obviously, the snake, a uh, big big part of uh, Raider lore. And though I wasn't alive to see him play, you know, I am a, I am an NFL junkie, uh, NFL films junkie, and and I've seen 
just about as much film as you possibly can on him. And just to me, when I think of the Raiders, that's like the first face I think of. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, he, he's gone, but obviously, you know, there's Tim Brown, there's, there's Marcus Allen for me, who was a big part of my childhood, kind of, kind of my, my football hero growing up. But uh, if you think of somebody that really portrays the Raider mystique, just, just by the, the way they look and, and the way they played the game, that's, that, that, that's Ken Stabler to me. So, yeah, I just w- wanted to, wanted to bring that up since I kept forgetting, uh, but and like, and like Nick, Nick said too, with uh, Eric Berry, uh, that's uh, obviously huge news that he's able to come back on the, come back on the field after what he's been through over the course of the last year or so. So that's, uh, that's very big news there. Um, why don't we just continue here with injury news, Nick? Did you have anybody else that you wanted to talk about there? Um, not really. You know, this time of year, most teams haven't even played their first preseason game yet, so I don't worry too much until we start getting towards week three, week four. Then if players start to miss time, then I start to get concerned. But it's just too early right now. Well, there obviously we talked to Aaron Foster a little bit uh, last week. Um, that's that's pretty big. He's pretty much done for the first half of the season. And it sounds like Kevin White is as well uh, with a uh, – um, I'm not sure what's going on with him actually, but I know he's out for the first uh, seven weeks possibly, so he could be on that uh, injured reserve designated to return list. So uh, that's 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 a big that's a big hit for this team, but uh, you know they do have some other veterans they could lean on. So we'll see how they recover from that. Um, Michael Floyd is also out for um, a month for the Arizona Cardinals, so he's probably obviously not going to see any. Uh, any preseason action there, I don't think it's going to hurt him. He's a he's a, a veteran that knows what he's doing, regardless of you know, my personal feelings side. He kinda he kinda knows what he's doing, so we uh will uh we um uh, we uh excuse me, we should certainly uh certainly take that into account. I I think it maybe hurts his fantasy value just a little bit in redraft, but uh, I still wouldn't uh, you know wouldn't downgrade him that far. He is a a big physical receiver and uh gonna you know, has the most doesn't have the most experience of the receivers on that team. Obviously, Fitzgerald is, but uh, he's probably at his best. He's, he might be the best receiver on that team. I know there's a lot of John Brown fans, but considering his size and speed, I think he might be the best receiver on that team right now. So it, they certainly would like to have him back in there, but uh, certainly certain to keep your eye on there in uh, in Arizona. Let's let's uh, move forward here to what. Oh, speaking, since we're just on injury news and we're waiting for JJ to call here, Nick, um, why don't we just do uh, Nick rants as we uh, talk about uh, another injury that took place yesterday. So what, what, what do you got for us for Nick rants, Nick? Well, so we all know that Geno Smith is out six to ten weeks with a broken jaw. But, you know, training camp scuffles and fights break out all the time. Just look at the Texans and Skins scrimmage or Cam Newton briefly scrapping with a defender. Uh, so, you know, a player getting hurt wasn't that surprising. It was almost inevitable. But what did surprise me, though, was Chris Carter's take on the situation. Chris Carter played the blame the victim card and said it's a lack of leadership on Geno Smith's part that he would put himself in harm's way to get sucker punched. So it's the 25-year-old quarterback's own fault that he was assaulted because, again, at 25 years old, he's not a good enough leader. Well, what were you up to at 25 years old, Chris? You had yet to have an 800-yard season on the field, and you were playing your first year in Minnesota. And why were you in Minnesota instead of Philadelphia again? Oh, yeah, all the cocaine. 
And this was in the 80s when teams turned a blind eye to that stuff as long as the player is productive. You don't even have to leave the NFC East to find examples. Guys like Dexter Manley in D.C. and Lawrence Taylor in New York. Those guys were also known to partake. So if we compare 25-year-old Geno to 25-year-old Chris Carter, on the field it's probably a tie, but off the field I think Geno's got you beat, Chris. You know, and hey, I'm really glad and happy for you that you turned your life around, but still, I, I just don't get his take on it. You know, but at least the team, the Jets, that reacted quickly and released the player. Hopefully they would have done it no matter who the puncher was because if they had given him a pass, say if it was a superstar, I think that could have been open season on subpar quarterbacks around the league. I mean, if there was an office pool on which quarterback would get punched out by a teammate first, I don't think Geno Smith would have been the favorite. My money would have been on Jay Cutler. But luckily the president has been set. The player got cut, so Jay Cutler stays in state. Josh? Uh, yeah, I, I guess the rumor that I heard, and who knows what actually happened, was that he apparently challenged that player to punch him in the face, and the player did. So maybe maybe that's what Chris Carter was hearing, but uh, not a good situation, uh, especially for a first-year head coach and what's uh, what's going on there. But we do have J.J. on the line, so let's patch Mr. J.J. Burton through. J.J., are you there? Yes, I am here. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, former NFL wide receiver, J.J. Burden, who is now an opportunity coach. Uh, he has a book out called When Opportunity Knocks, Eight Surefire Ways to Take Advantage. Um, and first off, J.J., I just got to tell you, reading the book, I, I, I love how it's autobiographical and it's, you know, it's helpful at the same time. It's, you know, it can be construed as like a business book maybe a self-help book, and maybe you can elaborate on that. But I just love how you're using examples from your life, and it just makes it so much more real when, I, when I'm trying to think it, you know, in, in terms of my life. It's not, you're not just saying you need to do this because this will happen. It's saying this is what I did, and this is how it worked out. So I, I got to say right away that I, I just really appreciate that style of how the book is written. Well, thank you. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys having me on first. And um, no, I'm I'm really proud. I'm excited about the book because it's it's something I wanted to do for many years. I knew I would do it at some point. I knew that even when I was in the NFL, and I recognized I was a rare breed. You know, five ten, 157 pounds playing in the NFL for nine years. And I, I said, well, you know, there's there's definitely a story to tell. And I thought, you know, for every person that's had an obstacle, that's had a challenge, where someone maybe said they couldn't do something, they're too small or whatever, you know, I, I think that maybe I can share from my personal experiences, you know, what I did and what I learned and uh, it really encourage people to seize those opportunities. And so I um, I spent a lot of time on it and I, I, I'm proud of the fact I wrote it. There's no ghostwriter. I wrote it. Obviously, I had an editor to clean it up, but, but I wanted to make sure my thoughts were on paper so people could learn from my lessons, learn from my stories. You know, I, I wanted to hold their attention. But as you said, there's there's something to teach in those different points. So I'm um, really excited to have it done. I'm just excited to get it out and, and try to see how many lives I can I can touch, so to speak. Yeah, and uh, like, like you said, 5'10", 160 pounds. And this isn't five, ten years ago. This is early 1990s. So, I mean, nowadays when somebody comes out of that, like with that, with those kind of specs in the draft, people are like, well, you know, they're going to struggle or they're going to have to be a kick returner or a slot receiver. Back then it was probably just a plain no for a lot of people, don't you think? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. When I, I remember at the combine weighing 155, and they were just kind of like <laughs> the guys. I remember the scouts were like kind of chuckling when they saw my weight, and and then I get to the NFL. I was a whopping 157, and and I remember how you know when I was out there. You know, to be honest, I don't really know if the guys, you know, the teams thought I would make the team. They knew I had great speed. I could catch. I could jump. But they didn't know where my heart was, and. And that's what I was able to show that, yeah, maybe physically you see from the outside I might be this small, but I got a big heart and I'm going to play big. And and that's what I was able to do. But uh, it's always nice when you can prove people wrong, when they can look at you, they can judge you, and they can lump you into this category. And then all of a sudden you surprise them and you kind of destroy their plans. Because I remember when I was in KC, you know, it was like in my book, you know, Al Saunders wrote the forward. He talked about how I was, I was a camp guy. I was a speed guy that might give the, the receivers a break, might give the DBs a good run. And I was a camp guy. I wasn't supposed to make the team. But somewhere in the middle of those those first two weeks, I, I changed their plans, and they started looking at me from a total different perspective. And, and they didn't care about my weight and my size. They just saw that I was producing, I was playing big, and that I could be an asset to the team. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you're listening to the Dynasty Pulse podcast with Nick and Josh. We're talking with former wide receiver, uh, off, currently uh, author, J.J. Burden, uh, uh Played for the Oregon Ducks in college and uh, played the, the majority of his NFL career with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Nick here is our resident Oregon Ducks fan, and I hope I'm saying Oregon right there, JJ. You can you can scold me if, if you need to. But uh, <laughs> uh, Nick, Nick, do you have any questions there for JJ? Uh, yeah, JJ. So you were facing adversity even before the NFL. You had to walk onto the football team at Oregon. I, I was wondering if you could take us through that process. You know, how did you prove yourself in order to earn a spot on the team there at Oregon? And by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you guys won the Civil War each year four years ago. So congratulations <laughs> on that. Yeah, thank you. That's I, I get to with a clear conscience say I never lost to the Beavers. So. <laughs> <laughs> But um but yeah I was you know I was a, I was a track guy in high school. I also played football, but I was really more known for track cuz I had some, you know, from nationally I was one of the top ranked long jumpers and all that and and football was just something I enjoyed, but as everybody kept saying you couldn't do it. You're too small, you know, when I was being recruited for track um to go to college, I I wanted to play football and most of the schools weren't interested in me in football unless they were smaller schools and I just thought well I'm I'm division one I'm going to play division one and so as I was being recruited for track every school I went to I would ask them what do you think about me doing football and every single school said no you're just running track and except for Oregon Oregon's track coaches Bill Dillinger John Gillespie said hey you you accept the scholarship you run the first year and we'll just do whatever we can to get you a shot to walk on and so I I held them to that promise and and I ran track the first year and I was you know always watching the Oregon football practices because I just felt I should be out there and and one day when I was watching practice Rich Brooks the head coach comes down the field because I'm like hiding behind the goalposts and he comes all the way down the field and he had known saw that I was watching these practices and he said well kid you know hey you, you want you, you think you can play and I go yeah he goes well come see me tomorrow so I go to his office the next day and 
we're having a conversation, and it's it's an interesting conversation because it wasn't a conversation where Rich was like, okay, we're going to put you on the team. It was more like convince me why I should allow you to be on the team. And so I did my best to sell him and to the point where he said, okay, kid, we're going to give you a shot, and we'll let you walk on, and if you make the team, we'll, we'll transfer your scholarship to football. And, and for me, I just wanted an opportunity, and, and that's what they gave me. And I tell you guys, I walked into that camp, I think I was like seventh or eighth on the depth chart, but I did not care because I already knew what I could do. I just needed a shot. Two weeks later, I was number two. I moved up the ranks so fast that Bob Toledo, who was the offensive coordinator, just said, we just had no idea you had this ability. And I said, well, (laughs) you never gave me a chance. But when you did, obviously I took advantage of it. So it's interesting because I was really never – I never wanted to play in the NFL. That was never my goal. I was a track guy. I wanted to go to the Olympics. But everyone kept saying you couldn't play football. So I was like, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. And the funny thing about it is I ended up playing nine years in the NFL. <laughs> so, Yeah. Um, what – sorry. What uh, – what, um, speaking of the players, you know, like your size – uh, and nowadays, we talked about that a little bit earlier, um, and it's maybe a little easier for them. What would you say to to guys, you know, like like the former Duck, DeAnthony Thomas, or Jameson Crowder, you know, the guys that are that are, that are your size that want to make their niche in the NFL? What if you had to give them a piece of advice? What would you tell them? Well, one, I I, I tell them right away. First, you know, you have to um, know your competitive advantage. You know, know what you have that makes you different than the other wide receivers. And usually, guys of that size, it's going to be their speed, it's going to be their quickness, it's going to be their jumping ability. They're going to have the athletic tools. I'm like, know your competitive advantage. And those guys, I'm saying, you got to play fast. If you run a four three, you play at four three. You run a four two. You play at 4-2. Don't run a 4-3 and then play at 4-6. You know, you need to always show your competitive advantage. And then I tell them to do the best to learn all of the wide receiver positions. There's usually four. And the more you know, the more opportunities you get on the field. Because if all of a sudden the X receiver goes down, they start shuffling guys around. And if you're the guy who knows X, H, Z, and Y, you're the guy that they're going to move in there and you have more opportunities to play. That's what I did in Kansas City. I learned all the positions. And then the last thing I say, you got to play big. Play big. Make them see you as a 6'4", 200-pound wide receiver because your ability to block, your ability to make the catch over the middle, your ability to break tackles and run through people, show that ability. You might not win all the time, but they're going to appreciate your effort. And if they can do those things, people will forget how small you are. They'll forget your stature. All they'll see is you're another wide receiver who has the ability to make plays. And and it took me some time to figure that out. I didn't figure that out the first, you know, couple years. But once I figured out my competitive advantage was my speed, my quickness, my mental toughness, and my ability to learn all the positions, then it was it was it was starting time. I became a starter, and I started my last five years of my NFL career. Okay. Um, you also correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure I looked this up. I just had a have in front of me this morning when you were when you were at the. Ducks, uh, current uh, Oakland Raiders OC Bill Musgrave was one of the quarterbacks. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So what? Uh, what do you, What do you think about 
Bill and his career, and do you think he's think he's the right guy for the job for the for the young team there in Oakland? Well, it's been it's been really neat to kind of watch Bill's career, watch his career evolve. You know, from the freshman you know, Oregon who comes in and you know leads our team, plays well, has a good career there, and in the NFL, doesn't surprise me that he's an offensive coordinator. I mean, Bill was always you know from an intellectual standpoint, he was always I think at another level, just really sharp mentally. And so I've been watching his career, our offensive coordinator. I definitely think he's the man for the job. I think Bill is one great season away from being a head coach. I mean, he will be a head coach at some point. You know, whether it's the, you know, whether it takes one successful year or two successful years, Bill will eventually be a head coach. So it's it's kind of neat to watch. You know, saying I remember this guy when he was a freshman. You know, now he's the offensive coordinator for the Oakland Raiders, and, and one day he'll be a head coach. Okay. Um, has that ever ever been something that you've You've thought about maybe going into coaching. I mean, obviously you you coach people as a as a with opportunity right now, but is that something that has ever been on the table for you? You know, that's a great question, guys. I think most of the players consider it, and when I retired, I considered it. I you know I, I battled back and forth with, do I want to be a coach? You know, I I've been a um, personal trainer. I've coached athletes for years. Um, I've coached. Uh, I, I coached briefly in high school and track and football to test it out, but I decided not to because when I recognized the lack of um, family time, the lack of control of your schedule, coaches have no home life. I mean, you think the players are busy. Oh, my goodness, coaches have no home life. I mean, they're getting paid much better now, but – I just felt I could not do that to my family again, where the first nine years, my our life revolved around my career. And now to go into coaching, although I'd love to, I know I could teach, I know I could help, but I, I just could not go that route. Because if I did it, I'd have to be all in. And I just decided not to. And, and decide to be a fan, and you know, and I get the chance to coach people in different capacities. And I think I'm probably going to be doing a coaching series on pretty soon on um, how to beat bump and run. You know, I'm, I was one of my, you know, competitive advantages was beating man-to-man technique. And I see a lot of wide receivers out there struggling beating that college, pro, high school, you name it. So I may do a coaching series, so so I can kind of do coaching in my capacity. But no, I just decided I wasn't going to go that route because I just could not take that a time for. Away from my family again. Yeah, some good points there. Um, I'm actually glad you brought up the bumper run because it reminded me of a question here, and I'll let Nick ask a question here when I'm done. But, um, and I don't know how much you're familiar with this rookie class, but Jalen Strong at Arizona State was a guy that I really liked for a long time, and then I started to watch film about on him after the season, and he really struggled with physical. Defenders on him, you know, Marcus Peters in Washington, the little Stevie Nelson in Oregon State. Uh, those guys got up in his face and really, really threw him off his game. And the Sun Devils were forced to put him in different positions to try to get him open against that. Now he's a guy that's going to have to make a transition. He's got a great wide receiver on on the other side of him and DeAndre Hopkins. What what would you say to a guy like that that's been kind of uh, handled by some some stronger defensive backs and trying to make that jump. 
Yeah, I would say he better he better figure it out. He he better he better master the ability to beat man to man, to beat that press or bump and run technique. Because if a wide receiver cannot beat that technique, they can't play. I don't care how good they are, how fast they are. If you can't beat man to man, you are um you know you're just not going to play. And for him, and this is and I don't know if that was Nick or Josh. <laughs> Who was that? Was that Josh? Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Okay, hey Josh. Josh, Josh and, Josh, and and for him, and I'll tell you, Josh, I see a lot of receivers struggle beating that technique. I see it at high school, I see it in college, I see it at pro, and I don't know if it's because they're just not teaching it correctly anymore. I don't know if they're, you know, they're just not putting much emphasis on it. And I'm really disappointed because during my era. It was guys like Gary Clark, um, Vance Johnson, uh, Ricky Natil, uh, Mark Jackson. These guys were 5'9", 5'10". They were amazing at beating press. Webster Slaughter. These are the guys who were in my era, and I remember that first year with the Cheat, or Browns, and I couldn't get off bump and run, and Hanford Dixon and Frank Minifield in Cleveland were throwing me around. And I said, you know, I better figure out how to beat these, this or I will not play. And I spent the next summer studying all these wide receivers, the techniques they were using to beat and bump and run. I started practicing them. I even got to the point where I started naming my releases. And then after that, I went into camp. Nobody could touch me. And I know it's one of the reasons why I played as long as I did, because if a guy got in my face, if they didn't get their hands on me, I was gone, and they usually didn't. So someone like you know Jalen and these other receivers, I would just encourage them that they need to get some training. They need to get some tutelage. They need to learn from someone because if they don't develop the ability to beat bump and run, their career won't last long at all. And, and I saw many guys struggle with that, and because of that, they couldn't play. So uh, and it's one of the reasons why I'm going. I'm going to do a coaching series on it because I've looked at all the YouTube channels and what the people are teaching and stuff, and I just I don't see people teaching what I was taught and what I did and what helped me be be successful. So. Okay. Well, we will certainly stay tuned for that. I, I look forward to that. And that's I, I kind of led you into that question because that's exactly the type of thing that you talk about in this book when you talk about your experiences in the NFL and what you had to do to overcome. That's what you're going to get in this book. It's not, you know, it's not, it's, it's about life, but it's also about football and the ins and outs and what made him successful too. So if you pick up this book, people, that's, that's kind of what you're going to get there. Nick, do you have any more questions there for JJ? Yeah. So you were in Kansas city when uh, the Chiefs signed Joe or picked up Joe Montana. I was wondering what, uh, what that move kind of did as far as like the, the attitude in the locker room and how that uh, kind of changed the, the team's outlook on things. Yeah, it definitely changed the whole mindset of our team. I mean, we, the years I was in KC, we were making it to the playoff. We'd lose in the first round, maybe the second round, um, and that wasn't good enough. And then all of a sudden we signed Montana. We signed Marcus Allen. I got to tell you guys, that first meeting when those guys walked in, our, our spirit was lifted up. Our attitude was totally different. We thought, okay, we, we've got the final pieces of the puzzle. We're getting to the Super Bowl. And it was such an exciting year because, you know, everybody lifted up their game. And I, and I believe Montana played a key role in that, not only just offense but defense and special teams, you know. And, and it was exciting to be around him. 
watching him as a professional, how he prepared, how he played, you know, how he led. Same with Marcus. Marcus was such a hard worker, just the example that he set, and it was very, very contagious. And to get to play with one of the greatest quarterbacks in the game was, was certainly a highlight. And he, he made me a better receiver. You know, I had to be faster out of my breaks. I had to get my head around turn uh, faster because Montana didn't wait for you to be open. Montana already read the defense, so he knew where the hole was. He was, he was the first quarterback that I ever played with who threw to the an area knowing that if he takes five steps, they're in a cover three, the hole's going to be healed over there, I'm going to take five steps and throw. And J.J. should be there. And I had to get used to that, you know, but it stepped up my game and made me a better wide receiver. So definitely a highlight, you know, obviously a disappointment. We got one game before the Super Bowl, but it was definitely a memorable year for us. Uh, yeah, and, then, and yet another story that you tell in that book, too. They're just about the whole whole thing I, with that Montana coming in. I, I was reading that recently, and, I, and I, I laughed out loud in front of a group of people when you said, you know, that first, that first uh, training camp, he walks into the huddle, and you said, I'm not, even hearing a, I'm not even hearing the play he's calling. I'm just looking across the huddle and thinking to myself, that's Joe Montana. <laughs> that was so uh, real. That was so real. It was a real reaction. It was a kid in a candy store just like, that's Joe Montana. And, you know, it, it took me some time to get used to having Joe Montana on my team, having Joe Montana in my huddle, having Joe Montana throw me the ball. You know, it was it was an exciting moment. Okay. Well, speaking of uh, Montana and uh, quarterbacks, I, I was wondering, J.J., if you wouldn't mind taking a little trivia test for me. I I, I tried to try to – tried to ask you about this before and I wasn't able to get a response from you, but if, if you're comfortable answering a trivia question about your playing career, I, I, I will I'm certainly would, I have one ready for you. Are you, you think you can handle it? Uh, yeah, let's go for it. Okay, and Nick Nick is going to help you. He doesn't know the question, but Nick's going to help you if he needs. Now, obviously Joe Montana is going to be on this list, but you okay. scored 17 touchdowns in your playoff, or your, excuse me, in your NFL career, you scored 17 touchdowns. Um, can you name the quarterbacks that threw you those touchdown passes? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, yeah, I think I can. Um, okay. DeBerg, Craig, Montana, George, Abert. Um, let me think. Who else came in? Oh, oh, well, let's see. Wait a minute. I'm trying to think of the backups. Who might have came in and thrown? Well, I, that's preseason. I caught one with one guy in Atlanta. Um, we're not talking. We're talking we're, regular season, huh? Regular season, and this the last one you need is actually from the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay. I, okay. So let's see. Let's think. I'm thinking maybe Mark Velasic. I don't know if I caught a touchdown from him. Um, I said DeBerg. I said Craig. I said Montana. Yep. Oh, who was the other quarterback? Oh, man. I don't know. I, I was thinking Mark Velasquez, but I don't know if he played long enough and threw me a touchdown. Um, I think he got me. Nick, Nick, do you can, think he can help him out? Was uh, Bill Kenny, was that the quarterback there in Kansas City? No, uh, not no, when I was no. there. Okay. Hmm. Well, I got, well, I got, a, I got a, a, a hint for you, JJ. He, he, he also came to KC via San Francisco. Oh, 
Um, Bono. Yep, Steve Bono. You got Steve Bono. That's, that's you, right. Yeah, you read those wrong. I forget. You're right because there was that year when Montana got nicked up a couple times, and Bono came in, and yeah, good one. That's a good one. Well, your first. Maybe you can walk us through this, and and I wish I could find the YouTube video. It's, it's amazing how many YouTube videos you can find the players now, but you try to dial it back a few years, and it's just not out there. Your longest touchdown reception was 90 yards. Um, I'm pretty sure you probably remember that as, as you were a rookie. You, you want to walk us through that just a little bit? Yeah, it's funny you guys asked me that question. I was thinking about writing a blog on that because um, that was my first year with KC. Um, I remember I had hurt my, my growing muscle the, the week before, and I didn't practice all week. I pulled my growing muscle, and I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to play this week. I didn't practice all week. It was hurting so much. And Joe Pendry's like, okay, JJ, I got this one play. I really want you to run because I think that if we line you and Robbie Thomas on the same side and I bring Robbie in motion, those DBs, they get kind of confused. They don't know who to cover. And I have a feeling you're going to be open. And he's like, can you get healthy? I go, Joe, I'm doing all I can. You know, and so I'm telling our offensive coordinator, Joe Pendry. So I don't practice the entire week. We go out in pregame. The adrenaline's pumping. You know, I, I take some aspirin. I remember I'm like, okay, I think I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good. And Pendry goes, okay, we're going to call it early. And I say, well, call it because I'm probably good for one play. The third play of the game, we're playing the Chargers. And sure enough, Robbie and I are on the same side. Robbie comes in motion behind me. The DBs bump it down, and they get confused. DeBerg snaps the ball. I split those guys, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm open. I'm open. This works. This works. And I'm like, <laughs> and here comes the ball. Here comes the ball. And I remember, like, oh, my goodness, you better catch this. I catch it, and the guy dies for me. He misses me, and I'm looking to the left, and Sammy Seal, who's the fastest guy on the Chargers, I mean, he might have been faster than me, and I knew it, and I'm just bolting for the end zone. And I remember taking a long angle so he'd have to run longer, but I scored a touchdown, and, and it was, yeah, 90-yarder. And the thing I remember most was I had a pulled muscle. I didn't play the entire week, and I scored a 90-yard touchdown that game. But it shows you what you can do on adrenaline, you know. Uh, well, yeah, you need to start that blog because cause I will read that. Uh, I would I would love to see that in my email box some morning. That's uh, yeah, I would love to even just read that again that you just pulled back to us. Uh, Nick, do you have any last questions there for JJ? Uh, real quick, one more question about Oregon. Uh, I was wondering if while you were there, you had any idea of the powerhouse that they would become in the future, if like uh, the state-of-the-art facilities are being started being built yet or if that was all after your time. Yeah, to be honest, no. I didn't know that we would evolve to the program we we have. Um, I will admit, when I got there my first year, I didn't play, and they were like, I think, one and nine or something. Then, then my first year, which was my second year, we went like six and five, five and six, five and six, six and five. And I remember my senior year seeing like, okay, there's there's a base being formed in this program. The foundation is starting to be established because my senior year, our recruiting started to improve because what I noticed my junior year when we were five and six or six and five, we started out four and zero, oh, but then we lost games because when guys got hurt back then, Oregon didn't have the depth. They didn't have the stars to back up those starters. And so if a starter got hurt, then you might have a walk on from Eastern Oregon or somewhere in the middle of nowhere, you know, playing. 
But my senior year, we started getting those athletes. You know, we, we got Derek Lavelle, who went to the NFL, Chris Odom went to the NFL, Terry Obie, Bill Musgrave, all these top recruits. And I noticed something was starting to happen in the quality of the athletes. Well, I go to the NFL, but they, that run never stopped. They went, you know, I think eight and three or something. They went to their first first bowl game, and they've been winning ever since. So I like to say I was part of the foundation. I know that there's stories about when did the Oregon really make the turn, and sometimes people say it's 1990, but I think it was our years because I saw the quality of athletes that were coming in started to improve. We got more depth, and we started to believe. And, and the story I hear is that Phil Knight was – at the Rose Bowl game when we were playing Penn State and all the coaches were wearing, um, what were they wearing back there, Champion or Converse or something like that. And Phil Knight, I heard, did not like the fact that Oregon was wearing, you know, a different brand. The coaches were wearing a different brand. And that's when I heard he decided to put make some improvements <laughs> so he he's been making some improvements ever since and it helps when you have a nice facility when you're recruiting athletes and the program has really really evolved and i'm proud to be able to say i was part of that i was part of the beginning and it's nice to to be a duck now because i tell you guys when i was in the nfl and you got guys on your team from alabama and notre dame and nebraska they're always like who's oregon oregon who you guys got a football team out there you know, we had no respect back then, but we definitely got respect now. Yeah, people certainly certainly know now. Well, uh, one more question before I let you go, JJ. What uh, you mentioned, uh, you, you, some people maybe some people were faster than you in the NFL. Was there was there really faster people in the NFL? Because I grew <laughs> up being a Raiders fan, and and I just remember thinking. Every time you were out in the field, I was like, we need to have the safety come over top because we can't let him get out in open space because he is just blazing. You're like, you know, De'Anthony, watching film on DeAnthony Thomas, it looks like he's in fast forward and no, everybody else is in regular motion. Was there really that many more people faster than you? And what's your 40 time nowadays? And, you know, nobody's ever really asked me, but that's a fair question. And I'll tell you who I think I'm pretty sure was faster than me was Deion Sanders. Um I think if I raced Dion in like a flat race on a track or something, I, I think I could have beat him because Dion was a thirty forty guy. You know, I ran high hurdles, I ran the four by one. I mean, I could run a hundred. I'm a good finisher. But Dion was great in his pads. You put those pads on him, he still ran four two. You know, so imagine me at at a one fifty seven adding an extra twenty pounds. You know, so I definitely believe Dion was faster than me and. And, um, and you know, so when you met a competitor like that, you had to try to exploit his weaknesses. And Dion had very few, but I always studied enough film to try to be, oh, okay, how can I take advantage of Dion? Because if I don't, you know, you're going to be on his highlight film as he's getting a pick six. So, um, <laughs> but I've, I've tried to stay in pretty good shape. You know, I'm about 50 now. I'm one of those players, guys, that never stop working out. I've been working out since I retire. I got, you know, I have a great nutrition i've really done a good job of living the healthy lifestyle so at age 50 i, I think i'm i think i'm pretty fast for a 50 year old let's let's just leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> all right all right cool. well thank you so much for joining us jj uh, hopefully we can get you to come back time back sometime maybe when you get that blog going or your next book coming out um again the book the book is one opportunity knocks eight surefire ways to take advantage 
uh, and it's written by former NFL wide receiver J.J. Burden. J.J., thank you so much, and have a great day, and thank you for your time. Yeah, hey, guys, I appreciate you, Nick and Josh, and just one thing I want to share with you and everybody else that I just released my update on my new website, so if anybody wants to read the first part of my book for free, you go to jjburden.com, you, you sign up for my blog, my newsletters, and you can read the first seven pages and kind of get a feel for it, but uh, the blog's ready to go, Josh and Nick, so I'm going to be releasing some pretty interesting blogs on a little bit of everything. Okay, and if you... If you find this podcast right up uh, on the website, you can just click on JJ's name and you will go right to his website. And uh, you can check that out yourself. So thank you, JJ, and have a great one. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye now. Okay. Well, that was certainly awesome stuff from a former NFL player. Uh, uh, yeah. More, you know, I always say, oh, 10 to 15 minutes, and we always seem to keep him about 25 or sometimes 30. I'm not quite sure how. I think that was. That was maybe 32 minutes. But anyway, I, I totally appreciate him giving us the time. Uh, interesting stuff from a, a former duck there, Nick, don't you think? Oh, definitely. Oh, always a thrill anytime we can get a former player on. Or okay. current player. Yes, well, it is Dynasty Dilemma <laughs> All right, this week we decided to do Jeremy Hill versus uh, everybody's new favorite Cadillac, Todd Gurley. This is going to be interesting because uh, Nick is not the biggest Todd Gurley fan. I'm sure he, I'm sure he's got some got some ideas for me, but uh, I put him on the spot. I think maybe giving him Gurley, and I took my guy Jeremy Hill. So uh, let's let's get into it here. Uh, ever since uh, ever since AP returned to that ACL tear like a cyborg. Looking like a cyborg amongst GoBots, we all think you know that injury is no big whoop. You know, sure, modern medicine has come a long way since the times of uh, Gale Sayers, because back then it just meant you were done. Um, now, now turning, now turning around, turnaround time is amazing, but everybody is different. I'm talking about Gurley because he's got he's got coming off the ACL. He also had a high ankle sprain that cost him to miss three games in 2013. Those are two pretty major injuries, especially for a running back, especially as somebody who's trying to make that inhuman jump to the NFL. Um, after not stepping onto a field since November of 2013, now Gurley's going to be expected to be the starting running back for the Rams. Uh, all signs out of camp is that he's healthy and should be ready to start the season. Um, but you just cannot just deny the facts. I don't wish Mr. Gurley any ill will, but you just can't deny what, what the injuries are on his resume. Now let's turn to Mr. Hill. Uh, you know, the only rookie running back from 2014 to rush for 1,000 yards. Um, and what was not a very good rookie class, Hill certainly shined way beyond the rest of those guys. Um We've seen he'll be successful. We've seen him make that inhuman jump to the NFL. I have been ultra-cautious about Hill's prospects for the future, um, but it's really hard not to be excited about him, even considering uh, Gio Bernard lurks as a committee mate. Hill is not your prototypical big back. He is not touchdown dependent or a short-yarded specialist. He is fast and powerful like Bo Jackson or Earl Campbell. Uh, now, I bring those guys up a lot. But uh, meanwhile, Gurley also reminds me a lot of Bo Campbell, but Bo, excuse me, Bo Jackson. But he also 
reminds me a whole hell of a lot of Marcus Dupree. And by that, I mean the best that never was. If you haven't seen that ESPN 3030 about Marcus Dupree, you need to watch it to figure out what I'm talking about. Marcus Dupree was an, an unbelievable running back for the Oklahoma State Sooners, and he just could not avoid injuries um, and some other things. And uh, just I see so much of him and so much of him in Gurley. It's it's amazing. Um, but you know, even though Gio Bernard is there, he might limit Jeremy Hill's ceiling. But we know that Mr. Hill's floor is already very, very sound. Nick, what do you got for us, and Mr. Gurley? Well, sometimes during these dilemmas, I tend not to talk my guy up as much as I just hammer on your player, Josh. But I'm not going to do that this time <laughs> because I really like Jeremy Hill. <laughs> So all I'll say about his situation that even a Trey Mason fan like myself can admit, admit that Giovanni Bernard is more talented than Mason, so Bernard's a bigger threat to Hill's carry numbers. Plus, we don't know how long Hugh Jackson and his power running scheme is going to be around if the Bengals can't win a playoff game for the fifth straight year. To be fair to Jackson, it's only his second year as offensive coordinator, but the reason he was promoted was to win in the playoffs. So now on to my boy Todd Gurley. The man who averaged 7.4 yards per carry, not per catch, 7.4 yards per carry last year, 151 yards per game before his injury cut the season short. Now, we all know that the NFL is a win-now league, and since GM uh, Les Snead and head coach Jeff Fisher have yet to reach 500 in any of the three seasons they've been with the Rams, I think it's safe to say they're both on the hot seat. Let's face it, if Gurley's a flop even just in year one, both of these guys could be on their way out. But they believed in Gurley's ability enough to shock the world and draft him 10th overall when no running back went in the first round at all last year, and that's with the ACL injury that's expected to keep him sidelined during the opening stretch of the season. So how high would he have been drafted if he was healthy? You know, if he lives up to the potential of being a running back drafted in the top 10 overall, then he's a once-in-a-generation runner, a la Adrian Peterson. I like Jeremy Hill a lot, but even I'll concede he'll never have an AP-type career. I mean, really, with Gurley being only 21, he may have the highest ceiling for a running back in the Dynasty League right now. And again, head coach Jeff Fisher, who has won 167 games as an NFL coach, has basically staked his career on Todd Gurley. Are you smarter than Jeff Fisher? Remember, Fisher put a multi-million dollar contract on the line. What's your league buy-in? 20 bucks? 50 bucks? You know, he is worth the risk. Okay. Answer me this, Nick. Who does, if you had to make a player comparison for Jeremy Hill, who would it be? Um, you know, you are so much better with these player comparisons than I am. He, you know, he's a good big power back, but I just, and then, like I said, I really like Jeremy Hill. I just don't see him as having as high of a ceiling as Gurley. Well, I do agree with there. You know, and the the other thing that really bothers me about Gurley is, um, you know, obviously no NFL team is going to have like a, you know, run the ball 75% of the time and throw 25% of the time. But we know when he's fully healthy that Fisher is going to give this guy 20 touches. He's going to get, you know, he's going to have a DeMarco Murray-like year because they just want to see what they have in him. But all those touches just really worry me about his durability. Um, and we'll see how it goes. You know, he maybe he is the next DeMarco Murray. Maybe he is the guy that can be really good that's going to miss some time here and there. But, uh, you know, if you took Gurley 101 this year, I just – I really I really hope he, it's it's right and he's he's the talent that he is. But there's still a lot more things to figure out 
on this team. I don't think he is the answer. Whereas I think in Cincy, I know they haven't won a playoff game since blah, 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 but they make the playoffs, which a lot of teams can't say year in and year out. They've made the playoffs. So they, I think they have a good young thing going there with a young nucleus of players and some some very good talent there. So I just I just like Hill's situation better, even though he's got uh, you know these guys both have a, a committee mate if if it comes to that. So we will leave it at that. And once again, I don't have one prepared for next week, so I'll keep you stay tuned there, Nick. Um, let's move on to the best number twenty three in NFL history. What do you got for us, Nick? Well, we'll start off with a couple guys that were before my time. Goose Goslin, I think that's how you pronounce it. He only played eight seasons, seven of those in Denver. But he went to five Pro Bowls and led the AFL with 11 interceptions as a rookie in 1960. Uh, Then we have Mike Wagner, only two Pro Bowls, but played in and won three Super Bowls with Pittsburgh in the 70s. Uh, He would have been four had he not been injured halfway through the 1979 season. Uh, Blaine Bishop went to four Pro Bowls as a safety for the Houston slash Tennessee franchise. He actually never had more than one interception in a season. Only had five picks over his 10-year career, but he was a big-time hitter, especially considering the fact he was only five foot nine. Uh, the five-year pro Joe Hayden has been to the last two Pro Bowls. He's definitely got a bright future ahead of him. Devin Hester is uh, 14 punt returns for touchdowns. is good for number one all-time. He's been to four Pro Bowls. Quentin Jammer was a solid cornerback for San Diego for over 10 seasons after being drafted fifth overall. I was a bit surprised to see he actually never went to a Pro Bowl, though. Patrick Sertan, on the other hand, went to three straight Pro Bowls from 2002 to 2004 and then uh, went from Miami to Kansas City for his final four seasons in the league. D'Angelo Hall's 43 interceptions puts him second amongst active players. Yeah, you got to hope he can come back strong from that Achilles tear, but he's getting a little old, so we'll see. Arian Foster has rushed for 12,000 or more, 1,200 or more yards in four of the last five seasons. And an argument could be made for Foster being the best number 23, but because of longevity, I have to go with Troy Vincent, who played from 1992 all the way to 2006. Went to five straight Pro Bowls from 1999 through 2003 and started a 200 games, had 47 interceptions over his career with Miami, Philadelphia, where he spent eight years, and then Buffalo and a little bit of time in Washington. Uh, so, yeah, Troy Vincent, for me, has got to be the best number 23. Okay. Kind of a – not necessarily a strong number, kind of a, a DB number, maybe, so to speak. Um, and, and I bring that up because there's actually only one number 23 in the NFL Hall of Fame. It's going to be the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, and there's a fellow by the name of Guy Chamberlain who was inducted in 1965. He was on end for the Canton Bulldogs, the Chicago Stanleys, um, the Cleveland Bulldogs, the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, and, of course, the Chicago Cardinals, uh, full name Berlin Guy Chamberlain, legendary gridiron hero at Nebraska, became the premier end of the NFL in the 1920s. Extremely durable two-way player. Uh, was also a player coach for four championship teams. Um, in a six-year coaching career, check out this record, Nick. He was 58-16-7, a remarkable winning percentage of 7.59. Uh, born January 16, 1894, died January, April 4th, 1967 at the age of 73. So only only one person in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that ever wore the number 23. Um, I agree with you, though, on Troy Vincent. Um, 
obviously not having seen Mr. Chamberlain play. Uh, probably the best number 23 of our lifetime we'll see. Just uh, certainly a player that um, we should have, I don't know if he ever bumped shoulders with J.J. I don't think he was that old, but uh, uh, certainly a, a, a great uh, great DB in his own right. And uh, um, I guess we'll look forward to number 24 uh, next week as we probably have a few more names there for you. Um, now, there's something new that we've been trying to do here for you, something like, like that we like to call Dynasty Depth Charger. It's where uh, we, we look on these depth charts right now and take them for what they are, as we've seen uh, Khalil Max listed as a defensive end. Uh, we'll see We'll see how that all pans out. But uh, Nick's got the depth charger for you today. We talked about Jimmy Ward last week, and that's kind of why we had Dan come on to talk about Mr. Andrews. But now Nick's got one for you. Who you got for us for a dynasty depth charger? Well, my guy, uh, Robert Woods, he's not completely off the radar. He is ranked at the tail end of DFW's wide receiver rankings, all the way down at number 95. But I think that's way too low. He's only 23 years old. He's got good size, six foot one. He's been relatively healthy. He missed three games over his two seasons. And his numbers got a decent bump from year one to year two. His catches rose from 40 to 65. Yards went up from 580 to nearly 700. And his touchdowns from three to five. So if he gets a similar bump in year three, that would put him at an 80 catch for 800 yards and seven touchdown season. That's better than I expect from a lot of guys ranked ahead of him. Guys like Stedman Bailey, Andre Holmes, Hakeem Nix, Greg Jennings, Marcus Wheaton, Stevie Johnson, just to name a few. I mean, yes, he has a questionable uh, quarterback situation, but he's produced with subpar quarterbacks before. And what, you're worried Percy Harvin's going to take away targets? Come on, Percy has the top 500 yards receiving in a season since 2012. He's a nice gimmicky player, but not someone you build an offense around. And now that Buffalo has other weapons defenses must focus on, guys like LaShawn McCoy and a growing Sammy Watkins, I think Woods should probably see the loosest coverage of his life. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they could get even average quarterback play for Woods to become a viable fantasy option, which is more than I can say for some of the aforementioned players who are currently ranked ahead of him. Great, great depth charger. I love Robert Woods. I was just sad, and I didn't know who that was, just so everybody knows going into this. I didn't know who he's been talking about. I just heard somebody talking about the Buffalo depth chart yesterday saying, well, you know, Sammy Watkins and Percy Harvin are the receivers. And just like, Percy Harvin doesn't play every down. He can't. I mean, he, he would get hurt. There's no way he's going to be on the field as much as Robert Woods. I think that he's going to, the snap count is going to be there for him as opposed to Harvin. And he is great because he is, if somebody is right now, if you probably buy low on him, I wouldn't be surprised if people, some people are right even cutting him maybe in shallow or dynasty. He's somebody that you can get for nothing now. And, you know, if they, like Nick said, if they get consistent quarterback play two or three years down the road, you're going to have him and Watkins being, you know, like Andre Reed and James Lofton were for uh, those, those Buffalo Bills teams of the early nineties. Uh, Woods is a strong kid and just a, a very good receiver. You know, what, no matter how you feel about the USC wide receiving core, I just I think uh, I think that's a great depth charger. And he's he's a guy that isn't really buried on the depth chart. He's the number two receiver on this team. Don't you know? Don't try to tell me that Percy Harvin is going to be out there. You know, as the as the X or the or the Y on on certain plays. It's going to be Woods. Woods is going to be out there offsetting Watkins, who certainly is going to demand attention. And, you know, I, 
I wouldn't be surprised if him and Watkins have similar numbers this year. I don't think he has the potential to outproduce him just because Watkins is, I believe, an exceptional talent, regardless of how you feel about that offense. But yeah, great depth charger there, Dink. I like it. Um, moving forward to some ADP risers and fallers. Um, ever since I joined DFW, it seems like back in uh, February, Bruce has got me in, in mocks, and I, I'm only actually doing two right now. Um, but uh, so it's certainly something that I'm really looking at right now. And if you want to get a good gauge on uh, ADP, you can go to DF, you know, Dynasty Football Warehouse right now and click the ADP, ADP tab as we kind of have you know seven or eight mocks and where we see these players going. But just some things that stuck out to me uh, recently, some players that are falling and rising for that matter. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins right now is ADP is 2.09 and Alshon Jeffrey is 2.12. Um, that's excellent value. If you're looking for a wide receiver talent in the second round and you're getting DeAndre Hopkins at 2.9, I, I think that is phenomenal considering his, especially in a dynasty startup, considering his, his age and his skill set, that is, is great value there. You know, he's not a top five wide receiver, but, you know, for my money, he's got to be the sixth or seventh best wide receiver in the league right now. And I, I honestly and truly believe that. I don't care about the running back situation or the quarterback situation. He's just a very exceptional player. Um, Alshon Jeffrey, we've seen him grow. Uh, we saw him, you know, be very quiet his first year, kind of off and on his second year. And I think this year you're going to see some very, very good things from him. Uh, Gio Bernard, another guy we talked about with Bill last week, currently valued at 6.01. I think that's a pretty good value. You know, you know, we talked about the third running back theory, and he's kind of the guy that everybody maybe looks at at that point in time. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good uh, third third running back as far as I'm concerned. PPR style, you're going to get you know the 40, 50 receptions out of him, and that, if he stays healthy, and I, I like that value there. Uh, Andre Johnson has was starting out as like a 10th rounder kind of pushed up to the fifth, sixth round. Now he's settling in and ended the seventh round at, with an ADP of 7.12. Um, that's a great value there. It, even if it's a dynasty league, if he's there the next couple of years, you're going to have a productive talent there. I know there's a lot of mouths to feed, but I think that's a very, very productive player you can get in the seventh round. Uh, David Cobb jumped, jumping up from the 10th to the eighth, um, you know, that might seem a little a little spendy right now, uh, but I think in dynasty startups especially that that's that's right where I would feel comfortable taking him. I mean he's potentially going to be the you know the starting running back for this team for maybe twelve games, and and I think I think that's a great value there, and especially moving forward, I think he's got a lot of a lot of heart and a lot of strength that could help this young team move move forward. Uh, Marcellus Bennett, still listed with an ADP of 10.03. I just watched Bill Servi actually snipe him from me in another mock at 12.02. That is ridiculous. I think if you're getting Bennett post-round eight, that is supreme value. I've even taken him in the sixth and seventh rounds just because I believe that much in him right now in, in some mocks. But if you're getting him in the 10th or 11th or 12th, that is awesome. He could be the first tight end, be your first tight end, and possibly like the 6th or 7th tight end off the board. I love that right there. Uh, Livy Vernon might be getting a little pricey as he was 
has started up the mock season as around 20 guy. Now he's up in the 12th and 13th. Um, still a nice young defensive end, and I think you know a lot of the hype is with them bringing in Nadamik and Sue, and that's certainly helping him and Cameron Wake's value. But uh, Vernon is the younger guy, and he's going to be the the guy that's going to be there during the duration of Sue's contract. So that's why he's jumping up there. Um, I don't know if I feel comfortable with him as my first defensive end, but if you if you don't have one and you're there in the 12th, I I I would certainly consider him. Uh, but I like to grab a defensive end a little bit earlier than that. Um, Pierre Garçon has moved from the 19th up to the 13th and 14th round. I think that's a pretty good value there. Um, maybe a little high on him. If you could wait till the 14th, I would certainly suggest that. Ruben Randall, who's got a lot of backers here at DFW, um, is actually dropping down to uh, from the 15th round into the 18th, which is kind of surprising to me. If you get a guy like that in the 18th, I think that's a pretty good value. Obviously, Victor Cruz is getting healthy, and that might be affecting that. But uh, I like Ruben Randall, especially in a dynasty start up there in the 18th. Uh, Mike Davis was a 17th, 20th round guy. Now he's kind of fallen off the map. So he's a guy that you can get the last last pick. Obviously, there's a loaded depth chart there, and uh, a, pre- a lot of people believe in Carlos Hyde at the top of that depth chart. But uh, I like I like the fact that you can grab Mike Davis at the end of your draft, and I feel pretty comfortable with that. He was going higher during rookie drafts, even after the after the the actual NFL draft and now he's now he's slipping so you know people seeing that loaded depth chart and if, if if injuries happen which they always do we could certainly certainly see Davis contributing there and I think his style is going to be nice fit in that offense um some more guys that you can grab in the last couple of rounds uh which is crazy in these 30 30 excuse me 30 rounds dynasty startup mocks Christian Jones Malcolm Jenkins Muhammad Sanu still down there uh, and Jake Ryan are probably going to be the inside inside linebacker with uh, Matthews this year in Green Bay. I, I like that value there. So uh, just so certainly some names to look at, and hopefully we've helped you out with uh, your your draft with that. Those kind of guys that we see moving a little bit there with their ADP risers and followers. There, Dick, did you have anything to add there? Uh, well, I thought you made a lot of great points with a lot of those guys. Uh, the only one I'm going to disagree with you on, though, is Andre Johnson. I think the seventh round, even at the end of the seventh, is just a bit too high for him. He's 34 years old. He was under 1,000 yards last year. That was nearly a 500-yard drop in production from uh, two years ago to last year. So, And, you know, like you mentioned, there's so many mouths to feed there in Indianapolis. I, I can't see spending that seventh round pick in a dynasty format on Andre Johnson right now. Okay. I think I just feel like the passing offense goes through him first. And I, I, where there is a lot of mouths to feed, I still feel like he is the number one target. And I, Mr. Andrew Luck is uh, smart enough to realize what a, what a weapon he has in uh, Mr. Andre Johnson, even though he's uh, – getting up there in age so well that's that's all we had for you this week um again big thanks to burgundy for giving us a call from the seattle airport to let us know about his depth charger and i love love the robert woods depth charger nick that was awesome that's kind of who i was thinking actually next week so i'll have to readdress that situation but uh i, I love it um obviously huge amazing thanks to former nfl wide receiver jj burden again the book is called when opportunity knocks 
eight surefire ways to take advantage. Go to jjburden.com right now and pick it up. Or like he said, you could read the first couple chapters. Great stuff. Um, next week we will have DFW's own odd man, Mr. Chuck Podeisky. Me and Nick know Chuck from our other podcast. He come, came along with us to DFW and he's written some articles here and there. So if you, if you feel like you've heard the name before, that's why. But he's going to be our Vegas guy. He lives in Vegas. He's going to be giving us the odds during the season. He's going to, going to get us prepped for uh, the preseason in terms of who's going to make Super Bowl wins, division winners, that type of thing. Um, and then in case you need any auction help, Mr. Bill Latin is going to come by and give us some auction help. So make sure you check that out next week. Uh, Nick, anything to add? Uh, just enjoy this first week of preseason football. Okay, and that's that's all we have for you today. Um, this has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast with Nick and Josh. Again, big thanks to Burgundy and, of course, J.J. Burden. Check out Chuck Podeisky and Bill Layton with us next week. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast with Nick, Gail, Taylor, and Josh Wood Johnson. Clock is five. And now I can see this with my own life a good fall.